and well, welcome home. Let's begin the message today with a little bit of checking in with each other. So this is called a fist to five exercise. If you give me a fist, that means zero. If you give me a five, that means five. Uh, so question number one is, how well did you sleep last night? Zero to five. Got a five. Got a, a lot of fives. Four. Good. Good. Uh, let's see. Question number two. How do you feel about your yard at this point? Three, five, zero. Good. Good. Okay. Uh, question three. How did you personally handle the election this past week? Zero to five, like emotionally. <laughs> First of all, not as many people are answering, <laughs> but several of you have chimed in on that. And you're welcome online as I keep going here. Just chime in with your answers. Give us a number so we can know. We got through it. It, it, was, a, it was quite the week, but we, we have made it. Uh, this, this series that we've been in for six weeks now is really... I've been oriented toward this time of year, and the main idea that we've been studying in Scripture is how do we become this city on a hill? How do we be the, the kind of Christians that no matter what's going on in the world, that we're consistently salt, and we're consistently light, and we're consistently calm uh, when it comes to anxious times? And so this week is the final message in this City on a Hill series. Make sure to come back next week. I'm excited about the new series. I'll tell you more about that uh, next week. But uh, this final message today is really for the, 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 the person listening, the person in the audience, the person at home that is thinking, yeah, I get what you're saying, Phil, and I want to be a more peaceable person, and I, I don't want to be quite as angry as I have been, but it's just the way I am, and I'm not really going to change, and so... I just don't see a lot of hope for myself in, in getting a lot better with, with dealing with my anger and being a person of peace. And so if that's you, this, this particular message is for you because I, I really more and more am, am believing that we as Christians can actually make progress in this particular area. So I want, I want to start with a, a story about two presidents not the two presidents you're thinking of. I'm going to tell you a story about Dwight Eisenhower and Richard Nixon. So Richard Nixon was asked to speak at Dwight Eisenhower's funeral. These are the 34th and 37th presidents of the United States of America. And when Nixon was asked to speak at Eisenhower's funeral, he wanted to talk about the quality that Eisenhower demonstrated that most impressed Nixon. And it's pretty impressive what he says in this speech. So I want to read you a somewhat... A lengthy quote from this speech, Nixon talking about Eisenhower. People often disagreed with Dwight Eisenhower, but almost nobody ever hated him. And this is, I think, was because he himself was a man who did not know how to hate. Oh, he could be aroused by a cause, but he could not hate a person. He could disagree strongly, even passionately, but never personally. When people disagreed with him, he never thought of them as enemies. He simply thought, well, they don't agree with me. I remember time after time when critics of one sort or another were misrepresenting him or reviling him. He would sit back in his chair and with those wonderful half smile, or with that wonderful half smile and half frown, he would say, I am puzzled by those fellows. Wouldn't that be a great reaction if we could just adopt that? I am puzzled by those fellows. 
He was genuinely puzzled by frenzy and by hate because he was incapable of it in himself. He could never quite understand it in others. The last time I saw him, this is what we talked about. He was puzzled by the hatred he had seen in our times, and he said the thing the world needs most today is understanding and ability to see the other person's point of view and not to hate him because he disagrees. That was Dwight Eisenhower. Now, I don't know your reaction to that quote, but I'll tell you the first time I read that quote for me personally, it, it just reminded me that we really can grow in our ability to deal with anger, uh, to make peace, to be, to be that kind of a person who's very calm. Because if you think about it, at least for me, when I think about Eisenhower, he dealt with way more uh, difficult circumstances than I, I do. Like, he had way more critics. He had way more reasons in his life to be angry at somebody than I ever do and probably than you ever do. He had more potential to be stressed out. And yet, at the end of the day, he could just say, yeah, you know what, I'm just puzzled by those fellows. And so to me, it's, just, it's really inspiring. Like, I can get better at this. Like, you can get better at this. Like, the ability to deal with anger, it's not fixed. Like your eye color, your hair color, certain parts about your personality, they're not going to change even, even if you try to change them. But I think your ability to deal with anger, it, it really can change over time. So for example, think about the Apostle Peter. So early in his life, Peter's probably 19, 20 years old. Jesus is about to get crucified. And you, you know the story from the Bible, but John 18, 10, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. That's young Peter. Then you fast forward a few decades and Peter's at the end of his life and he's writing this letter and he says this, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That almost seems like two different people. It's the same guy. And so I think that that shows that you really can make progress in this area of your life. And so what I want to do is I want to go to the Bible again, and I want to give you two more helpful ways to, to deal with your anger when it comes to the surface. We, we, we started last week, we were talking about this, and, and just to remind you, here's what we talked about last week. I gave you two, two very simple things to, to remember when it comes to dealing with your, your own anger. And the first was, was just to choose to be unoffendable. If you remember that point from last week, you can make that choice. <laughs> One of my coworkers, uh, you can guess who this is, and there's a lot to choose from, but he said, one of the points I made in this message is I said, one thing you can do to deal with your anger is to say in your head to someone, I'm not going to let your dysfunction become my dysfunction. And so this coworker came up to me Sunday afternoon last week and said, hey, I'm going to go try that with my wife today. <laughs> now, I don't know how that worked out yet. I'll have to tell you later, but I would, I would say you probably don't want to say that out loud to your wife, but that's just something you could think about. I'm not going to let your dysfunction become my dysfunction. Second thing we talked about uh, last week was this, this idea that you need to just expect fallen people to be fallen people. Like unless their last name is Messiah, they're going to let you down. And so if you, must, if you expect that, then you won't be so disappointed. And so today I want to give you two more very, very simple ways to deal uh, with, with your anger. First, I want to go back to the Sermon on the Mount where this, the phrase for the series City, City on a Hill comes from. And I, I want to read you this paragraph about anger. Jesus says this, 
You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So he's, he's calling people to a very high standard here. If they want to be part of his kingdom, he's saying anger is simply not in the cards. Again, Jesus says, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, I did a little research into what that word actually means. It was just a first century insult, and it meant empty head. I don't know why this is kind of funny to me, because I can picture elementary kids on the playground saying, you empty head, but that's what it means. That's what Raka means. So anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, but anyone who says, you fool, another insult, will be in danger of the fires of hell. So one of the reasons I think it's important to talk about anger and to be serious about anger for two weeks in a row is because Jesus was pretty serious when he's talking about anger. Uh, verse 23, therefore, if you're offering something at a gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, you leave your gift in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them and then come back and offer your gift. So here, I, I want to point out something just based on the text here. I want you to look at the verbs. There's two paragraphs here. The first paragraph, Jesus is talking mainly about the problem with angry people. The second paragraph, Jesus is talking about the solution. Here's what you should do. And so pay attention to the verbs. In the first paragraph, talking about the problem, the angry people say, Raka, and they say, you fool. In other words, their, their anger is expressed primarily through verbal criticism or verbal insult. But in the second paragraph, more the solution, this is what Jesus is saying, do this instead. Notice the verbs in this paragraph. Leave your gift Go to your brother. Be reconciled to your brother. And so the point here that I want to leave with you is, is, is pretty simple. It's if you're trying to deal with your anger, you're trying to get better at this, th then try this out. Exchange your anger for action. Like, do something about it. Because the truth is, you know, you and I wake up and we've got 14, 15, 16, 17 hours to be awake before we go to sleep again. And we have choices about what we do with our mental energy. And the reality is, if you spend a lot of your mental energy just frustrated and angry, then what happens is you just don't have a lot to give to other people. And so one thing you can do is you can exchange your anger. Instead of just getting mad all the time, do something about it. So I, I don't, I'm sure you've experienced this at some time in your life, but you know that feeling when you're at a restaurant and it's a really busy restaurant? And you finished your meal and you kind of want to stay a little bit longer, but there's people gathered at the door and they're waiting for the table. And so you don't really know, should I get up and leave or should we stay longer? Well, it's been a while since I've had this feeling during this year of COVID. But in the past, when I have had this feeling, Mary and I have a friendly debate about this particular question. I take the side that says, hey, we paid for this meal. We're here. We need to enjoy it. And if, if we want to take 15 extra minutes to talk, that's just fine. Those people can wait by the door. That's my position. Mary takes this other position of compassion, which says, okay, these people are waiting for a table. We need to get up and leave so that they can have a table. You know, you can decide who's right, who's wrong. Mary takes the love your neighbor as yourself motive. I don't know how I feel about that. 
But that's our little friendly debate. Now, regardless of where you fall on, on that debate, when the server comes over to your table at, in this moment and says, would you like it to go water? What, what are they really meaning? What they mean is stop talking. Do something. Leave. Do something. Stop talking. Well, that, that's the point here. When you get really angry, stop fuming. Like, get up. Do, do whatever the next thing you can actually do to solve the problem. Like, if you need to call someone, pick up the phone and dial the number. If you need to purchase a gift for someone, buy, buy a gift for someone. If you need to get in your car and drive somewhere and, and visit someone, go, go do that. But the more time you spend just, just fuming, you're not helping anybody. And I will also say the person you're fuming to is probably really sick of it. Like, they're probably really irritated that you keep ranting about whatever you rant about to them. And so maybe you should stop it for, for their sake. So exchange your anger for action. And, and I, I do think that's one, one, one step you can take. In fact, I would say that the, the difference makers in the world, like the people who really do make a big difference, it's not because they're mad. It's because they chose to act. Now, I'll give you two examples of that. So one would be uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, quite a few years ago, he was uh, negotiating in Montgomery, Alabama with authorities about the end of a bus boycott, and it wasn't going well. And so there was one particular day when, when Dr. King just, he just lost it. And he started yelling at these officials for, for, for what the things they were doing. And, and later, he was writing in his journal about this incident where he acted out in anger. And here's what Dr. King wrote. He said, that Monday, I went home with a heavy heart, remembering that on two or three occasions, I had allowed myself to become angry and indignant. Yet I knew this was no way to solve a problem. You must not harbor anger, I admonished myself. You must be willing to suffer the anger of the opponent and yet not return anger. You must not become bitter. No matter how emotional your opponents are, you must be calm. That's pretty amazing, hearing that from Dr. King. You think about his legacy, you think about his influence and, and how strongly he felt about certain moral imperatives in, in the world, and yet the reason he made a difference isn't because he was mad about it, it's because he, he acted, he did something about it. I'll give you another example, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a writer, theologian, preacher in the early 20th century, he ended up becoming a, a martyr for his faith in, in, uh, in the wo World War II. He was executed by Adolf Hitler because he had actually uh, joined a group that was trying to assassinate uh, Adolf Hitler. And so it's really interesting what Bonhoeffer wrote about anger. He said this, Jesus will not accept the common distinction between righteous indignation and justifiable anger. The disciple must be entirely innocent of anger, because anger is an offense against both God and his neighbor. So again, these are people that made a, a huge difference in the world, huge, huge difference in humanity. But the reason they made a difference wasn't because of their anger. It was about, it's, it's their action. It's what they did. Like, like uh, we, we have a lot of people in this church family. We have a lot of passionate people in this church family. You can fight for something without fuming about it, but that involves 
doing something. Like here, anger in your life, it, it needs to be a temporary emotion, not a long-term motivator. And that, that's the problem a lot of us get into is that when we make anger this long-term motivator, well, number one, we don't get as much to, done. And, and then number two, we're the ones that suffer. Anger is an emotion. You can't avoid it. But don't make anger your long-term motivator. I, I would say for Dr. King and for Bonhoeffer, they were motivated by love. And they still made a huge difference in the world. So exchange anger for action. Here's a second, second idea. I want to go back to the uh, story in Scripture. I want, I want you to think about Jesus on the cross. And in your mind's eye, I just want you to imagine he's hanging there. He's been suffering. He's probably been awake at this point by, by, for about 30 hours. He's fatigued. He's ex absolutely exhausted. He's got the six-inch nails in his wrists and his feet. The, the wounds on his back are probably reopening because of the rough wood of the cross. There's probably flies swarming about his head. And he's having to deal with the, the constant chorus of criticism from all the people around him who are mocking him ridiculing him. He still got saliva on his face from people who had spat upon him. And this lasts for 10, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and then it goes for hour after hour after hour. And then in this moment, this is so amazing when you think about this, in this moment he's on the cross, this is when he utters these words from Luke 23. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Now there's so many things that could be said about this incredible incredible prayer from the cross, but I, I just want to point out this. Jesus is, by this prayer, he's actually interpreting his event in a very particular way. The facts of the matter are he's on the cross, he's suffering, and the pain is excruciating. That's just, that's happening. That's the fact. But through this prayer, Jesus is interpreting the event through a particular lens. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's so important. I got to bring this up one, one more time. There's, in your life, there's an event that happens, but then there's the story you tell yourself about the event. And so for Jesus here, the event is the crucifixion, but he is telling a story here. And think about all the stories he could have told while he's hanging on the cross. So for example, here's one story that he could have told. I'm being murdered. And I can't believe this is happening. And, and someone needs to answer for this because I didn't do anything wrong. He could have told that story. He also could have told this story. I didn't have a fair trial. They, they paid these witnesses to lie. It wasn't fair. Here's another story. He could have said this. The criminal justice system is failing the Roman Empire. Rome claims to, to bring peace, but look at me. I've done nothing but love the world and, and, and heal the sick. And now I'm on a cross because of, of, of this particular system. It, the system is broken. He could have told that story. He could have told this story, my friends have abandoned me. Or this story, nobody understands me. Or this story, the world is coming to an end. He doesn't tell any of those stories. On the cross, here's the story he tells through this amazing prayer. And this is so important that we hear the story, receive the story, and then try to tell the story. Here's the story he actually tells through this prayer. I give them the benefit of the doubt because they don't know the full story. 
I give them the benefit of the doubt because they don't know the full story. In other words, he's saying, Father, these people who are crucifying me and hating me and spitting in my face, they don't know you the way that I know you. They don't know me the way I wish they would know me. And because they don't know the full story, God, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. See, what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's realizing that these people are acting as anybody would act that doesn't know the full story. And so he gives them the benefit of the doubt. This is amazing. Like, can you imagine if you're on death row for a crime you didn't commit? Would you tell this story? I wouldn't. I'd be saying, get me out of here. I didn't do anything wrong. Like, this isn't fair. The system is broken. But when God himself comes into the world as he is living out the story of grace on the cross, he's telling the story of grace about his opponents. He's saying, I'm not going to hold it against them. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because they don't know the full story. That's, uh, that's an amazing story to tell. Like, can you imagine how different your life would be if every time someone did something that made you mad, if you just told this story in your head, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. She, just, she doesn't know the full story. He doesn't know the full story. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. If you could tell yourself this story, I'm telling you, it would change your life. It would absolutely change your life. And so here's, here's the final strategy for dealing with your anger. Nix the negative narrative. Just get rid of it. Like it's one thing to get angry, but you're really adding to the anger by, by telling yourself the negative narrative over and over and over. I can't believe she did that. I can't believe he said that. So what, what are they thinking? When you spin those stories in your head, you get more mad. I, I meant to bring a match today because I was going to illustrate this, but anger is like a match. So if I lit a match and just let it sit there, eventually it would go out. Hopefully I would drop it before it burned my finger. But it, it would go out because that's what matches do. They, they, they light temporarily and then they fizzle out. But then if I lit a match and I put it on a candle, that candle would burn for a really, really long time. So, so think about it this way. Anger is like the match. But the stories you tell yourself are like the candle. And so when you tell yourself these stories over and over, it, it, you just give fuel. You give fuel to the fire of anger, and it can burn a really, really, really long time. But if you can do what Jesus did, and even I'll go back to Eisenhower. I mean, think about this. These, these people are sending, writing these horrible articles about the policies that Eisenhower is making, and what does he do? He just says, oh, I'm puzzled by those people. Like, what a great story. He'd made this decision. I'm not going to spin it in my head. I'm not going to make it worse than it is. I'm going to give these people the benefit of the doubt. And so what I'm saying is that if you can do that, if you can learn this, to practice this, nix the negative narrative, then what happens is you still get angry. I mean, it's, it, you can't avoid it. But, but you can starve it. So when you nix the negative narrative, you're just starving the anger. It, you're not giving it any fuel to burn. And so, yeah, you get mad for just a few minutes, but, th but then you let go of it. But for those of you that don't do this and you, you hold on to those negative narr narratives, th then you're going to be angry for a really, really long time. I'll give you one more practical story from my life. So this, just about six weeks ago, I'm, I'm in a neighborhood. I'm, I'm about to turn left onto Boulevard. So I'm like just south of like where Hideaway is and some of those side roads. And so I'm about to turn left onto Boulevard. And this truck is on Boulevard. 
And he's actually turning right into the same side street that I'm coming out of. And as I come up to Boulevard, this truck swerves all the way into my lane and nearly hits me. And so my window's already down, and I am so angry that as this guy drives by me, I just, I just give him one of these, just, just looking at the guy, just giving him a death stare. And, and Mary's sitting next to me, and, and, and her comment is, Phil, I'm really glad you have your mask on, and I hope this person doesn't go to Memorial Road. Which I'm not sure why I had my mask on at that point, but I, I did. I was so mad. Well, the guy in the truck, he had his window down too. And so as he's driving by, and he's, I don't know, he's 60, 65 years old, and he must be really sharp because in this like three-second window of time, he actually like was able to get out like two or three sentences because our windows were down. And so here's what he said. He said, I'm so sorry. I'm towing a grill behind me, and I didn't want it to tip. That's pretty impressive that he could say that in three seconds, but he did. And then he just kept on driving. I turn left, and I'm, I'm just mad. I can't believe you did that. Get married. And I'm, just, I'm just, just angry and yelling. And I don't even know where I was going at that point, maybe Target or something. But I get a mile or two down the road, and then I start to think, you know, I've driven a truck before pulling you know, with furniture and appliance in the back, and I drive differently when I'm hauling something like that. I drive slower, and I take wide turns. And so by the time I got to Target, I didn't feel mad anymore. Now the event, it didn't change. That guy still pulled right in my lane. But after about 15 minutes, I had changed the story. The first story is, how dare you? You're a horrible driver. I'm right. You're clearly wrong. But then 15 minutes later, the second story is, you know what? I've been in that situation before, and I understand why you would do that. And my anger didn't really have any more fuel to burn. So all I'm saying is that if, if you do this, you'll be less angry, and you can get better. You can get better at this. So very, 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 very simple sermon. But just to summarize, Number one, you want to exchange your anger for action. And then number two, you want to nix the negative narrative. And I'll, I'll end with this. I want you to go back to the cross, and I want you just to uh, go back to the scene of Jesus. He's suffering, and he says, Father, forgive them what they do. Jesus forgives uh, people at their worst, and he gives them the benefit of the doubt. And I think that if Jesus would offer that kind of grace to the very people that put him on the cross— I think he offers that to us too. Like you're, you are not saved because you get everything right. You're saved because he got it right. That's the story of grace. It's his work on the cross. And so for those of you that you do kind of walk around with a sense of, I just don't know if I've done enough. I just don't know if I've, I've said enough of the right things. I wonder if I've done too many of the wrong things. You're diminishing the power of the cross. When Jesus goes to the cross, he's taking it onto himself because he loves us. And then he invites us into this amazing story in which we can partner with him to build a better world through his spirit and for his kingdom. And so if you want to be a part of that kingdom, then I'd love you to come tell me about that this morning. Or if there's anything that this church family can do for you, come tell me about it while we stand.
insane.